You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's the beginning of the second quarter of 2021. The first quarter was... I think interesting to say the least. And in order to look forward, we have to look back. So let's look back and forward with Philip Saunders, the co-head of multi-asset growth at 91 in London. Really, really interesting first three months, was it not, Philip? Yes, Lizzie. It was uh, plenty of drama. We saw basically the sharpest rise in, you know, 10-year US Treasury yields we've seen for 50 years. Um, and in fact, not that many of us have actually seen that. And the narrative shifted pretty decisively, you know, away from concerns about uh, relapse and multiple waves of COVID sort of destroying the uh, uh, recovery that had been building in over the course of 2020. And we moved decisively to worry about the risk of rising inflation. And, um, you know, even the expression bond vigilantes was uh, coined again, uh, and I haven't heard that in years. Yes. Uh, so, so, so that was pretty dramatic. Equity markets actually held in pretty well against the background of such a significant rise in long-term interest rates. Normally, you know, when that's going on, equity markets tend to correct. So, actually, that was sort of pretty good performance by equities in in in, in the circumstances. The piece that you kindly sent me earlier today says the following. Following the COVID-related plunge, bond yields had been remarkably quiescent throughout the balance of 2020. Last year, this was cited by many as non-confirmation of the recovery. Since then, and I've just been looking at my graph of the US 10-year bond yield, Philip, and this time last year, almost to the day, uh, the US 10-year was yielding 0.76%, and it's now yielding close to 1.76%. Is the market getting ahead of itself, in other words, being too anticipatory of future inflation, or is it actually predicting inflation uh, correctly? Yeah, well, I think that um, clearly what was discounted before uh, was a deflationary scenario, on the back of obviously the impact of COVID, which you know obviously saw you know extraordinarily sharp and deep uh, recession globally, but then you know actually you saw this V-shaped recovery unfolding, and so therefore inflation expectations, having been far too low, uh, have had to adjust. But that a large part of that adjustment's actually happened over the course of the last three months, even though there was plenty of evidence to suggest that uh, uh, the you know a you know, pretty strong recovery was underway, led by China initially, and then elsewhere, despite the fact that uh, uh, COVID sort of was causing basically sort of, you know, continued lockdowns. There was some industrial production numbers coming out of, or manufacturing numbers coming out of the Far East this morning, the Korea, Vietnam. China sort of, of course, led the way, uh, way before other economies did, uh, coming out of the pandemic. But the, anyway, there were some good numbers coming out. Now, will the West follow, do you think? Obviously, albeit yeah. as laggards. Yeah, well, I think that you know, if you look at the West, um, then things are going pretty well in the US. So the level of vaccinations basically has uh, been pretty dramatic. And in a way, actually, although Biden is taking the credit for that, actually, it was uh, it, it was sort of moves under Trump that basically paved the way for that, you know, sort of shock and awe type response. So so things in the US are definitely on on, on the right track. Places like the UK, ditto. Uh, Europe sort of, 
you know, been dropping the ball a bit. But even in Europe, um, I think that, uh, you know, come the summer, the third wave should be contained and we'll see basically a sort of move towards normalisation. So we think that the recovery clearly has legs. It has the potential to be extremely powerful, you know, particularly given the moves to uh, bring in sort of aggressive fiscal policy uh, alongside the sort of kind of unorthodox monetary policy that's been adopted on a huge scale internationally. Uh, so as we get into that environment, so if you sort of pan forwards uh, uh, to you know the late summer, things should be much more normal then, uh, and economies should be going gangbusters. You know, which of course is good for earnings. It's not particularly great for bond markets. You know, which obviously you know, have the potential to interest rates have the potential to rise further than that. Uh, but then again, the Fed has changed policy and, you know, they want to see a bit of inflation. And so therefore, they're probably going to sit on their hands as far as short term interest rates are concerned. So conditions are going to remain pretty stimulative, I suspect. You mentioned two words in your answer to my previous question. One was powerful and the other one is legs, and that's referring to the economy. So when I hear those two words, I automatically think of inflation. At what point does inflation become a little bit of a problem for the Fed and they have to say to themselves they're going to chuck in the towel and actually raise by 25 basis points or 50 basis points? Probably not this year, but at some stage in the future. Well, the Fed, you know, significantly revised its, um, reviewed its policy because, you know, they kept getting inflation wrong. They kept basically actually putting rates up too early and buy too much. And, you know, the expectations, you know, conventional expectations that inflation would rise were, were pretty much confounded. So uh, after the uh, global financial crisis in 2008, uh, we, uh, there was a lot of talk about inflation taking off simply because of unorthodox monetary policies, etc. You know, and actually inflation didn't take off. If anything, it actually sort of declined. And, you know, we saw a cycle that was very extended, but inflation remained sort of extraordinarily low in the circumstances, despite reasonable growth and the longevity of that expansion. Um, and uh, now uh, the, the, the Fed... You know, wants to adopt a more what they call a symmetrical policy, uh, which implies that they're happy to allow inflation to overshoot in the short term in order to meet their two percent target, rather than you know, uh, rather than actually uh, tighten monetary conditions as soon as you know economies start to recover, you know, in order to head off sort of inflation. So they've changed. Other central banks tend to actually sort of follow the Fed. So this sort of central bank orthodoxy has sort of shifted, uh, at least in the West, that is. China's a different matter entirely. So, uh, so, so generally speaking, you know, central banks want to see a bit of inflation. And I think they'll eventually get it. But that, you know, it might just be a cyclical phenomenon. So we don't think at the moment uh, that uh, there is a risk of a sort of return to the 1970s. So you don't see the oil price going from $15 a barrel to $65 a barrel, whatever it is at the moment, as being inflationary and dangerously inflationary. You don't see $1.9 trillion of COVID relief from the Biden administration, plus $2 trillion of infrastructure spend should it get passed by Congress. You don't see that as being inflation because you talk about the Fed wanting to see a bit of inflation. How much do they want to see? Crucially, how much do they not want to see? Well, I think that if inflation sort of was to get back up to in the US, get get back up to about 3%, I think that, uh, you know, they, they would lean against that. 
yes, um, but they wouldn't be too uncomfortable about that. Um, I think if inflation was to sort of start to head north of 3%, uh, then I think that it would be a very different situation. But you've got to bear in mind that there are some still some incredibly powerful disinflationary forces at work. You know, technology is going to basically continue to change radically. Um, AI is only really getting going now. And that's going to be hugely disruptive. It's going to reshape whole industries, yes. um, including the financial services industry. And so that is disinflationary, I believe, powerfully disinflationary. Demographics are not really going just to get better. Just before you better. just, uh, sorry to interrupt you, disinflationary because of the efficiencies of yes. a, a brave new world. You can do more stuff with fewer people, period. Mm. A lot more stuff which creates all sorts of problems of how do you create employment and all that kind of stuff, or do you, do you have a universal wage or this kind of stuff. So all of that's going to sort of come onto the agenda. Uh, but you've still got, you know, intense international competition. You know, okay, wages have gone up in China, but, you know, effectively that's, uh, you know, a lot of the cheap work is sort of moving to places like Bangladesh and Vietnam. So that's sort of continuing. So, uh, you know, you need to see significant wage inflation to really lift inflation to sort of, if you like, sort of scary levels. And I think that we, you know, we're positioned, we've been positioned with, you know, very little bond exposure uh, because we felt that bonds were profoundly misvalued after the uh, COVID plunge in, in yields. I think looking forwards, you know, real interest rates are still too low, although basically we've now got a bit more of a risk premium in bond yields. But um, but but ultimately, we'll need a bit more over over the top of that because inflation is going to sort of average higher than it did over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to go into a sort of rip roaring inflationary 70s type period. Is there a chance and this is um, sort of off script here? Is there a chance that we'll never see inflation again? I mean, you talk about the 70s, and the 70s was characterised by uh, the oil price shock and uh, all sorts of other things. But will we never see it again, even if the oil price goes to $120 a barrel and even if there are trillions and trillions of stimulus packages by central banks and authorities in various economies around the world? Do you think because of efficiencies, we'll never see inflation again that goes above 2 percent 2.5%, 3%? That, is that a reality? No, I think, I think that you can never say never again. You know, however, if you look at history, inflation was the exception, not the rule. So inflation was normally associated with wars. And you could say that, well, you know, COVID was a war. Well, it's not a conventional war. So inflation tended to go up during wars, you know, Napoleonic wars, you know, way back in the distant past was was, was an example. Vietnam War, uh, obviously, more recently, and so on and so forth. But by and large, you know, actually, the uh, the gravitational pull of disinflation has remained extremely powerful. So, you know, we don't see that, you know, changing particularly Sure. At the moment, we're sort of entering new territory in the sense that basically, you know, having relied excessively on unorthodox monetary policies in order to try and sort of boost growth and prevent recessions and so forth and mass unemployment. Uh, now, basically, the fiscal policy is being brought to bear in a much more meaningful way. Um, and so, therefore, you've got a highly stimulative environment. And sure, there are going to be areas where prices are pushed up. So, yes. for example, 
the US is going to build out presumably a new smart grid because basically the electricity grid in the US is sort of antique. Um, and um, that's going to require a lot of copper. And so therefore, the copper price is unlikely to be that weak in those circumstances. Um, so there will be individual prices of commodities that skyrocket. And we've seen that uh, we've seen that already. But ultimately, to have really embedded inflation, you know, it's basically it's more than just uh, um, it's not just a monetary phenomenon, you know, which some econ economists have claimed. You need to basically see wage inflation, um, uh, if, you, if you like, moving up and becoming uh, becoming persistent. Um, and at the moment, basically, there's really little sign of that. Okay. Uh, looking back at the first quarter of 2021, do you think the second quarter of 2021 will be the noisy neighbour of the first quarter? And if so, do you stand your ground with your asset allocation and your policy? You're the co-head of multi-asset growth at uh, 91. Is there anything that you've seen in the first three months of this year that says to you, actually, we ought to shift our asset allocation just a little bit? Well, I think that, you know, as you know, we've been sort of fairly pro-recovery, pro-growth in terms of our positioning. Um, and for the moment, I see no reason to change that. Um, I think that uh, um, the whole inflation narrative, which conflated, you know, short-term risks with longer-term risks, um, got completely overdone, as many market narratives do. And I think from May, we're likely to see sort of headline inflation moderate quite significantly. Uh, so I suspect we will, you know, market narratives will move on and we'll find somebody, something else to talk about. Uh, and bonds might rally a bit um, and we'll see maybe a bit of a reversal of the rotation we've seen, you know, because we saw banks performing extremely well. Banks tend to perform well if uh, yield curves are steepening. Yeah, which uh, they were doing in the in the first quarter. So we might see a bit of a correction in, in that rotational move within within equity markets. And, you know, the dollar basically coming into the year, you'll remember that, uh, you know, there's almost sort of universal negativity about the dollar, which meant that what should you do? Well, you should buy the dollar. Mm. Uh, and the dollar has been pretty firm uh, when it was meant to be weak, of course. Um, so I think that basically if the heat goes out of this uh, current rise in long term interest rates in the U.S., uh, then uh, I think that the dollar strength is likely to ebb somewhat. Uh, and that's going to be pretty good for emerging markets in Asia. Philip Saunders is the co-head of multi-asset growth at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.